<laughs> yes, that was me. It's it's from the last chapter of my first book. <coughs> um, all right, so we have a lot to do today. <laughs> Sorry, what was the answer to the second? We didn't do the second extra credit question. Oh, did we do the first? No. No? no. 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 Did you know the first? No. Malt does more than ever. Milton can to justify the ways of God to man. That's A.E. Houseman. It's his poem called Terence. This is su Stupid Stuff. <laughs> it's a great, great title. Great name. Great first line. Um, and the second one is E.E. E. Cummings. I love <laughs> So there you go. Finally, a poet in this class you can love. A.E. <laughs> <laughs> Houseman. Um, Tom Stoppard wrote a play about him, The Invention of Love. Yeah? How does that Shakespeare? Okay, do you remember the opening line? No. Okay, my friend Does that begin with him being dead? Yes. Oh. Yeah, they're on a rowboat crossing the sticks, yeah. which is also punting on the cam and various things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, so part of the point of the quiz was to indicate parallels between what are essentially the three major sets of, um, of players in Paradise Lost. Uh, the major sets of players being Satan, also the other rebel angels, but Satan primarily. Um, the others are really not so important, and sin and death. Um, the reason that's generally regarded, including by me, um, <coughs> as the, um, one of the very few dumb parts of Paradise Lost is that it's a return, that Paradise Lost is really about um, human psychology and the depth of human psychology. Um, I think the right way to read Paradise Lost is to read it as a poem about the unimportance of the angels. Um, the important figures of Paradise Lost, both within the poem and within the universe, are God and the Son, who becomes human because becoming human is, an, is a much more important thing to do than staying in heaven. Therefore, the humans, um, Adam and Eve, and then Satan, who is the fallen angel, the rebel angel, um, who is the one who shows most depth and most nobility of character. And what you will see persistently in Paradise Lost is, um, is various parallels drawn um, in ways that Milton is getting from Homer and Virgil. Um, who are also very interested in parallels. Um, but various parallels drawn among these three sets of major characters. Go back to the Iliad, um, and you will see that's exactly what you will see. Um, that is that um, Homer is as interested in the Trojan as in the Greek experience. Um, and in a lot of ways those experiences will parallel each other. Um, in a lot of ways they won't. Um, same is true in Paradise Lost. Um, so the question is what do you do <coughs> with the various possibilities of power, let's call it, um, between hell, earth, and heaven? Um, we saw the same thing in Dante. That is, we see that um, Satan in Dante with his three um, heads um, chomping on the three great traitors is a par od. That's what one thing you can do with par is turn into parody of um, the Trinity in at the at the height of the Empyrean, um, the Trinity at the end of paradiso. 
but that's a different PAR. Um, um, so one thing you can say is that um, Satan's uh, falling in love with sin and begetting death upon sin is a parody of God um, seeing his perfect image in his son, son in whom I see my perfect image. Um, that, that um, or another way of putting it is to say that it's a parallel, not that Satan is parallel to God, but that both look into others as mirrors of what they are. And the mirror of Satan is sin and the propagation of death. And the mirror of God is not the sin, but the sun, a pun that's in Milton's mind. Um, not sin, but, but the sun, who is therefore a propagation of life. Um, so there you would have um, maybe not parody, but what um, I'll sometimes call parallax. That is, that it's something that looks at first like a parallel, but it's the difference, the deviation from being a parallel that really matters, which is how parallax works. Um, something that is close to a parallel at first sight, but isn't a parallel, and the deviation um, is where the meaning is. Um, or the other possibility is that they're parallels. That is, that it's extremely difficult to find a moral difference, not impossible, but difficult, to find a moral difference between Satan and God. Um, you may see Satan and God as extremely similar characters, um, or you may agree with Blake and with Shelley, um, as Shelley puts it, that as a moral being, Satan is absolutely superior to God as a moral being in Paradise Lost. Um, yeah, Emily. Well, I just find it interesting that, like, especially in his first speech, like, well, who's? Satan. Uh -huh. Force, yeah, but not having actually defeated him with reason, right? And that their reason was equal, yes. And you see that throughout that God just does things because and doesn't have to explain all of the universe. And there are certain things man doesn't have to know. And yeah, he does keep the knowledge where Satan explains himself and explains his actions. And is, I think much more reasonable, even if what he does is wrong. Right. I think that's absolutely right. So let's, yeah, Ben. Well, I mean, just, you know, off of that, um, in terms of uh, reason, I was, I was actually wondering if you had any theories on how Raphael gets his information about Satan's speech and to what degree it's accurate. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe doing a paper topic on, like, you know, various presentations of Satan. Uh -huh. But, uh, you know, the... Because, you know, what in terms of reason, the Satan that's presented by Raphael uh, is a flawed reason. Yes. Uh, but it also doesn't seem like a consistency. Uh-huh. And I, I just, I was wondering if you have any theories about where Raphael gets that. Um, in, because it seems to me, you know, as Emily is saying, Satan, be, you know, before that passage, Satan's reasoning seems pretty... Just. Yeah. Well, okay, look, 
it's the, the the quick answer to that would be, and I'll just give the quick answer. Um, I think it's it's very worth exploring. But the quick answer would be, God instructs Raphael to tell Adam everything Adam needs to know, um, and Raphael then um, is therefore has to um, somehow be infused with that knowledge. We know that an angelic intelligence, Raphael will say, is intuitive rather than discursive. This is a somewhat similar thing to a more radical version of that um, that idea in Dante. Intuitive means you don't have to figure things out, um, but that um, you get them all at once, you grasp them all at once. And the distinction between intuitive and discursive um, understanding, in a way, goes all the way back to Plato. Um, but it's certainly um, an important distinction um, at the time that Dante and Milton are writing. So angels, um, the great essayist Charles Lamb um, in his uh, essay, The Hilarious and Great Essayist Charles Lamb, uh, romantic period essayist, um, in his essay on New Year's Day, um, which begins, every man hath two birthdays. Um, and he hates the fact that it's New Year's Day um, because it just means he's one year closer to dying. Um, and But he then says, um, and the thing is, every time, every, every, every single um, gravestone I pass is constantly informing that such as I now am, you are soon to be. <laughs> Not so soon as you think, perhaps, <laughs> um, he says to the dead person. At any rate, um, what he's unhappy about is, um, he says, um, well, you know, sure, I believe in God and I'll die and go to heaven, but must I then learn things through some awkward experiment of intuition and not by this familiar process of reading? So what he says is he, he really likes reading, and what he's really worried about in heaven is that people aren't going to get to read. They're just going to know stuff just like that, you know, like Johnny Mnemonic. Um, we'll all be Keanu Reeves in heaven. Um, and that'll be, that's not what he wants. He likes reading. He likes thinking things through. Whoa. Um, and, yeah, exactly. Woe is in every single, um, even, even in um, Much Ado About Nothing, um, Keanu Reeves manages to say that. <laughs> um, it's quite something. Um, yeah. Um, so, so, um, the the um, idea in Lamb is actually not so different from the idea in Milton, although Milton is very serious about it, um, which is that a human way of thinking is different from an angelic way of thinking. Um, and Raphael will even say that. Um, Adam, Adam has questions, really smart questions, about the physics of the universe. What he says is, going back to the Copernican question, um, God, you know, can't be wasteful. I can tell that waste is a bad thing. Um, I can already tell that, um, that no matter how rich and wonderful things are, um, things should be useful. There should be a reason for stuff. It shouldn't, it shouldn't just be unreasonable. And what do I see? I see these, um, all these stars in heaven racing from east to west every night, the entire universe wheeling around us. That really seems bizarre. And Raphael says, um, it seems bizarre to you, but don't think that you get it. Don't think that you understand exactly what's going on in the heavens. Um, in fact, some of your descendants just may go nuts trying to figure it out. 
and then he gives he describes parodically Ptolemaic astronomy um, with cycle and with epicycle scribbled ore. And remember, I showed that to you on the board: the circular orbits with circles within circles within circles. Yeah. Um, could you say that when so Adam doesn't understand how the celestial bodies work? Yeah. Um, I have like I I get the sense that it's more of like they were all like the imperial body and the celestial bodies and his physical body and his closeness with God as like a spiritual body were all more connected in paradise and once they were cast out after the temptation that's when they don't understand the going on yeah but he says he already doesn't understand how okay. how they have he, I read that and wasn't sure if it was like because they go back and forth between like future and yeah no no then Michael shows him the future okay um but it's already the case that when he's talking to Raphael, he says, I hope it's okay for me to ask. And Raphael says, of course it's okay for you to ask, um, but if I don't give you the answer, be satisfied with that because it's important that you be humble in your desire for knowledge. Um, and the reason Raphael says that is so that they won't think, oh, this fruit will tell us the answer to all these things. Um, again, the problem would be that eating the fruit is wanting an intuition into truth. It's a tree of knowledge rather than learning about it. So Raphael is a teacher, and Adam gets to ask questions, and Raphael says to some of them, we'll get back to that later, um, hold that thought, and then he doesn't get back to it. It's a trick of our trade. And um, to, other, to other questions, he answers right away. And to others, he says, let me explain it to you in, in a way that you understand. It's not actually true what I'm about to say, but it's close enough to truth. Richard Feynman, you all know who he is, right? Feynman lectures. Um, at the beginning of his physics courses at Cornell, he would say, okay, I'm about to, you're about to learn some physics, and I'm going to um, inevitably simplify a little bit um, and um, idealize a little bit and lie a little bit um, in order to get the basic ideas across. And he actually does <coughs> lie in at least one of his lectures, um, quite strikingly. Um, he, he gives an elegant demonstration of quantum theory, but he ignores um, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle in order to do it. Um, and, uh, and and it's it's actually, you say, wow, how could he get away with that? Um, but, you know, eventually he corrects the record. Yeah. Yeah, I seem to remember at one point there was, I, I don't remember what it was, but Adam asked Raphael a question, and Raphael's basically like, don't bother yourself about that. Well, what he says is, he actually gives an example. His, his He appeals to Plato's cave, mm -hmm. and he says... Um, what I'm going to give you is things on Earth, and the way I'm going to explain this stuff it are really shadows of what goes on in heaven. And there he's explicitly thinking of Plato's cave and the shadows on the wall. That is, they're imitations of the truth. I'm not, he says, I can't tell you the truth. But maybe it's not so different as you might expect. Um, I'm not going to say, but it might not be that different. At any rate, he gives Adam in, to answer Ben's question, he gives Adam in, uh, not to answer it, but to approach it, he gives Adam in discursive form what he must in some way know intuitively because at the moment, if not before, that God instructs him to go talk to Adam. Yeah. All right, sorry. sorry. No, no, no. Back to the, um, the movement of the stars. It says in my edition that the fact that Adam... Well, Adam first doubts why something should be out of their reach intellectually as um, mankind. And it says here that certain things were put in place by God to represent the limits of human ability rather than like humans being able to use something and they have to figure out how to use it. Yeah. So, um, 
Who's the it? What? That's your footnote? Yeah. And that's that's Towski's footnote. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the <clears throat> there are other things. One thing, I, I mean, I'll just tell you this quickly, but there's we, we have a lot of fish to fry um, today. Um, one thing is that Milton, as any truth-telling and prophetic poet, one thing that Milton is claiming to be is a prophetic poet. Um, this is, he compares himself in the Invocation of Book 3 both to um, blind poets like Thamorous and Maonides, um, who is uh, Maonides being another name for Maonides being the son of Maon, whose son brothers and sisters hath he none, but that man's father is his father's son the blind poet his work you have Homer. 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 Yeah. Maonides <laughs> is another name for Homer. He's comparing himself to Homer and to one of Homer's characters, Thamorous. Um, and then he compares himself to prophets, to Phineas and Tiresias. And um, he is in a mode which is making poetry into a prophetic vocation. Um, that's a really important thing in Milton. When you are a prophet as a poet, you sometimes have to hedge your bets about the future. So just in Milton's day, people were realizing, um, thanks to Galileo, the only contemporary figure, the only person that Milton met IRL, the only real human being that Milton had actually um, met and talked to who appears by name in Paradise Lost um, is Galileo. Um, and thanks to Galileo and thanks to telescopes, people knew that planets were worlds. And it was just at this time that people started speculating that other worlds had, um, had life forms on them. Um, that there were, and not only life forms, but, um, but, but beings, quasi-human beings with souls in them. Um, and so Milton doesn't know. No one knows. There's a lot of speculation that this is true, which weirds people out, because did they all get some son of God to come to their worlds to, um, to save them from sin and bring them to salvation? Or are we the privileged, um, uh, intelligent, but created beings in the universe? Did Jesus pick us and no one else? All of that is still in Justify the Ways of God to Men. That is, this is a poem, even if there are beings on other planets, this poem is not for them. It's for the people who live on this planet, on Earth. So Milton is agnostic, and therefore makes Raphael refuse to tell whether there are intelligent beings on other planets. Um, because, because otherwise Milton could, would get it wrong. 500 years later we could say, no, actually there is no life on Mars except arsenic-eating bacteria. Um, and therefore we no longer have to um, pay attention to Milton, and that would be wrong. Um, so he's hedging his bets on that. But he's also explicitly, and I think this is what you're drawing our attention to, he's explicitly um, giving us a, a, spe a brilliant speculation by Adam, um, which he knows and his readers know is wrong. Namely, that the planets and the stars circle the Earth. And what Raphael says is, um, God may have done it that way, don't be sure, um, but um, it's fine for you to think that without worrying about it. 
And then his last piece of advice is, be lowly wise and know to know no more. That is, when you get to the limit of your knowledge, accept that. Raphael also importantly gives Adam and Eve the idea of the great chain of being. That is, that, um, that there's a chain that goes from God down to the worm, and that if you are human, you are placed on the chain in a place where the chain starts moving. It's like a flight of stairs from worm to um, primate, and then a worm to Neanderthal, although um, they didn't know about Neanderthals, obviously. Um, and then after that, there's Homo sapiens sapiens. And what we can do is, by dint of prayer and duty and thought and goodness and love, we can start actually going up on the chain. It turns into an escalator. Um, and that's, that idea, then, is know where you are and try to get a little bit higher in the intellectual sense, by um, by thinking things through and by worship and love, and eventually your body may transmute all to spirit, and you may become, as Raphael says, ethereal as we. And his example of this, remember, this comes out of out of Adam's question: Can we actually serve you our food? Aren't you an angel? Um, how can you eat our food? And Raphael, it's actually quite, a, quite an amazing passage that you should celebrate rather than find clunky. Um, people do the first time they read it, but it's actually a, a quite an amazing passage. What Raphael says is, no, what happens is to, with us is just what happens to you. You eat food, and in doing it, you, um, you transmute it, transmogrify it, transfigure it into something higher. So just the same way you eat fruit, and vegetables, and that turns into being a human. That transformation of something more material, more gross in its nature, gross in the sense of um, thick, and not, not in the sense of yuck, but in the sense of um, having heavy substance, um, gets transmuted through the process of life, of digestion, of that living um, that living process, which is called digestion, um, angels can do the same thing. And what we do is we turn the food into spirit. And so don't be surprised if angels can with man participate in the food that you eat. Because everything, um, if given a chance, will tend towards spirit and towards the ethereal. Emily. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, so let, let's get back to that in a second. Um, the thing, one last point about Raphael is that Raphael, whether truthfully or not, says, and I think you are supposed to think it's true, truthful, Raphael is called the affable archangel. Um, it's a wonderful phrase, the affable archangel. Um, I think if you're looking to blog under some name, try that one. Um, but Raphael... Raphael um, Adam talks about his own creation, 
um, and that of Eve. Um, and Raphael says, yes, actually, I was, I was busy chasing Satan down to hell when that happened. Um, so do tell me about it. <laughs> and so um, Adam does describe um, the creation of Eve. And you'll recall that, um, remember that I quoted for you Milton's Sonnet 23? Methought I saw my latest spouse's saint brought to me. Like I'll quote it again because it's just the best poem ever. Methought I saw my latest spouse's saint brought to me like Alcestis from the grave, whom Jove's great son to her glad husband gave, rescued from death by force, though pale and faint. So that's like the Orpheus in Eurydice's story, except Hercules succeeds. Rescued from death by force, though pale and faint. Mine as one whom washed from bed of who washed from childbed taint purification in the old law did save came vested all in white pure as her mind her face was veiled but to my fancied sight love goodness sweetness in her person shined so clear as in no face with more delight but oh as to embrace me, she inclined. I waked, she fled, and day brought back my night. So he dreams of his dead wife, and she inclines to embrace him in his dream, and he wakes, and she's gone, and he's blind and in despair. Night there doesn't mean simply blindness. It means his blindness is his reminder of her death. So Adam um, tells the story of his creation and Eve's, and he says, I dreamt that a rib was taken out, and then this um, woman was formed out of it. Um, and then I somehow realized I was dreaming, he says, and then I waked to find her or forever to deplore her loss when suddenly, out of hope, there she was. So Adam's creation is kind of the wish-fulfillment version for Milton, or Eve's creation is the wish-fulfillment of a dream that Milton had actually had in his own life. Compare Sonnet 23 to what he writes a few years later when he has Adam dream of the creation of Eve. Um, and I quoted, uh, maybe I didn't quote this for you, but Keats, um, in a famous letter, Keats's letters are almost as good as his poetry, um, in a famous letter, um, he says that, um, trying to describe, what the, trying to define the poetic imagination, he says, referring to this moment in Paradise Lost, the imagination may be compared to Adam's dream. He awoke and found it truth. So that's what the poetic imagination is for Keats. Um, one, one last point about the ethereal nature of the angels. Um, do you remember when Raphael blushes? Mm -hmm. Why does he blush? Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> and what's his answer? Uh, Something more along the way. Yes. Yeah. Well, he says, without love, no happiness. So yeah, we do. And um, do you remember what he, how he describes the sex? I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm not going to tell you, but just think about the fact that we don't have um, tissue 
that we're all um, that there that there are no membranes or integuments or any of the kind of things that keep bodies out of each other. Or gravity. Or yeah, but the but the main thing is that um, we can interpenetrate. There's no bar to our interpenetration, the way there is for you all. So human sex, you know, you get a little interpenetration, but really not that much compared to what we do. Um, so what you're supposed to picture is that they. That, that angelic sex is like two bodies becoming one, kind of like Aristophanes in the symposium. Where is this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you need to know? <laughs> um, he blushes, loves rosy color. Um, someone find it where, where he does it, but you had a question. Oh, yeah. Um, in book five, I was a little confused by, it's on 118, line 245 to so okay so they start eating to their viands fell nor seemingly the angel nor in mist the common gloss um, of theologians um, so, nor seemingly there means the angel really did eat. It's not, he didn't only seemingly eat, he ate. Okay? Nor seemingly the angel, nor in mist, so it wasn't just, ooh, I'm eating, but it's all turning into mist. Um, which is what theologians are always claiming, but it's wrong. But with keen dispatch, he was hungry. Keen dispatch of real hunger. You know, he started snarfing down that food that Eve had made. And concoctive heat to transubstantiate. Um, you know, so like when you eat a lot, um, his body temperature went up um, the, the way it does. Um, what redounds transpires through spirits with ease. Um, so the fact that it goes transpired there means um, it, it breathes through spirits. It, it passes through them with ease. Nor wonder if by fire of sooty coal the empiric alchemist can turn or holds it possible to turn metals of drossiest ore to perfect gold as from the mine. So given the fact that, that angels can turn food into spirit, don't think that alchemy is a bizarre idea. Um, meanwhile, at table, Eve ministered naked, and their flowing cups with pleasant liquors crowned. Um, so so um, she's, she's filling their cups, she's, um, she's being a good hostess, and she's naked. Um, but don't get turned on by this, Milton is saying in this little address then. Oh, innocence deserving paradise. She's not weirded out by the fact that she's serving naked. It's not like a Peter Greenberg <coughs> movie. Um, if ever, then, then had the sons of God excuse to have been enamored at that sight, which refers to a biblical passage where the sons of God fall in love with the daughters of men, which is one of the... Um, first bad things to happen in Genesis. Um, well, here's an excuse. If ever there would be an excuse for an angel to say, wow, that Eve is hot, because she's, you know, it's like Hooters. She's serving them naked. Um, and, um, but in those hearts, in the hearts of the angels, love unlibidinous reigned. That is, they love Eve, but without lust. Um, her nakedness is... They are so pure in hearts that their nakedness allows for love without lust. Nor jealousy was understood. Um, they weren't jealous of Adam. Um, jealousy, which he now defines, for, no doubt from personal experience, as the injured lover's hell 
Um, so one thing that the fall causes is sexual jealousy, um, which is hell for those who feel it. Um, the idea that the person um, you're in love with is having sex with someone else. Um, and that's what, what isn't happening when she's serving. Um, did someone find the Raphael passage? Book A. What is it? 195 in this book, but it's yeah, the no, it's very a, last page of... Yeah, what line number? Um, 618. Um, yes. To whom the angel with a smile that glowed celestial rosy red, love's proper hue, answered, Let it suffice thee that thou knowest us happy, and without love, no happiness. Well, look at what Adam's question is first. Um, um, bear with me then, this is line 614, bear with me then, um, if lawful what I ask, love not the heavenly spirits, and how their love express they, by looks only? Which means he's saying, because um, if that's what heaven's like, I'm not so sure. Um, <laughs> So love not the heavenly spirits, and how their love expressed they? By looks only, or do they mix irradiance, virtual, or immediate touch? Really, these are questions you could ask even now about the internet. Um, virtual or immediate touch? You decide. Um, to whom the angel, with a smile that glowed celestial rosy red, love's proper hue, answered, let it suffice thee, that is all I'm going to tell you, let it suffice thee that thou knowest us happy, and without love, no happiness. Whatever pure thou in the body enjoyest, and pure thou word created. Now the important thing to know is that Adam and Eve, well you do know it, but let me remind you, is that they are having sex. It's not, the Westboro Baptist Church thinks they didn't have sex before the fall, and that sex is evil. Milton didn't think so. Um, this is a theological debate, and Milton is on the minority side of Christian doctrine, but he's absolutely certain that Adam and Eve had sex before the fall, um, because there's nothing wrong with sex. Um, so, um, let it suffice thee that thou knowest us happy, and without love, no happiness, whatever pure thou in the body enjoyest, and pure thou were created, we enjoy in eminence, that is, we have the best version of what you experience on earth. We have the eminently high version. We enjoy in eminence. And obstacle, find none of membrane, joint, or limb, exclusive bars. So unlike y'all, we don't um, have the surfaces of our body and our joints and all that ridiculous thrashing around that you have to do. As angels, we don't, we don't have material bodies that cause the bizarreness of various um, positions um, that you do. Um, we don't have bar. We obstacle find none of membrane, joint, or limb exclusive bars. Easier than air with air. If spirits embrace total, they mix. Union of pure with pure desiring, nor restrained conveyance need as flesh to mix with flesh or soul with soul. But I gotta go, he says. Um, so the point is that when angels have sex, they, they interpenetrate entirely. You may still wonder if that's what you would like um, as far as sex goes, but he's saying it's like what you have, only better. Um, yeah? Because um, I know that Milton subscribed to empiricism and like the yeah. belief 
of like the sensory experience. So, um, what you said, who said it about the there's no reading in heaven, it's just intuition. Yeah, Charles Lamb. Right. Some so awkward experiment of intuition. Right. So, I like the way it's described the closer you get to God, like the more heightened your senses are. So, in that way, I guess. Um, heaven is the ultimate sensory experience, and yeah. because of empiricism, it's the ultimate intellectual experience as well. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, this is, I, I wanted to go uh, back to, uh, or rather forward to, to uh, what you were saying before about um, Eve as the, the naked hostess, to, mm-hmm. well, I, or I can wait till we're done with this. To, no, it's okay. Um, it's, it's... Yeah, I, w- I was just wondering, um, I was thinking to, uh, I was thinking about, um, Bulgakov's uh, Master Margarita, where yeah. um, Volan, the, the devil, has a has a I guess a, a, a mistress or a hostess in the house that that treats everyone well. I mean, she she welcomes everybody and she's always naked. Um, but she, I don't remember. I'm not sure if I'm remembering this right, but she's she's very scary. Yeah. So I don't know how she. So she doesn't really she give, doesn't give off. So she doesn't really attract people, although she is very attractive. Uh-huh. Um, so I was wondering if that was perhaps referencing or trying to somehow relate to this. I don't know if that Bulgakov knew Milton. Um, I, I sort of suspect he didn't, but I'm not sure. Um, but the idea of Raphael being served and eaten by Adam and Eve, that's Milton's invention. That's, there's no biblical warrant for that. Um, and it's, it's an invention that it's worth noticing, because if you look at the argument to Book 5, um, the arguments, let me just say, if you found... It sounds to me like you guys kind of got acclimated to Paradise Lost and um, that that uh, you actually were able to read it um, fairly... Well, it sped up, right, as you were reading it. As, as um, And I hope that it was the prior knowledge that you got by reading the other stuff in this class helped, um, your sense of how epics work. Um, and also, yeah, if you, if you give Milton the chance... Um, you'll get it. Um, but Milton, when he first published Paradise Lost in 1667, um, it did not, let's say, sell out. Um, it didn't really sell. Um, and his publisher said, I think one problem is that people are finding this your language way too hard. Um, do you think, we'll do a second edition when this does finally sell out, do you think you could write little plot summaries at the start of each book. And Milton said, okay, so he wrote the arguments. So the arguments are actually the first, um, the first Cliff's notes on Milton are the arguments to Paradise Lost. They're, they're his own, um, explaining what's going to go on in the books. One of the interesting things is that occasionally he gets it wrong. Um, and that's very... <laughs> <laughs> now, it's, it's interesting because it's telling that um, when he's trying to summarize what happens, I mean, you've all done this writing papers, right? um, Someone says, so what are you trying to say in this paper? And you describe what you're trying to say, and then that may bring out to you that you didn't actually say that. Um, So, um, but at any rate, the arguments are very valuable um, as Milton's idea of what's going on in each book. And just the argument to book five is, I think, an important one. Um, Very beginning of book five. Um, look how this is written. Um, I'm going to actually just try to talk now for about 15 minutes, and then I'll take questions in whatever time remains. But there's a lot of Paradise Lost and not a lot of class left. Um, Wait, this is the last class. Yes. Yeah. So, morning approached, the argument begins. Morning approached, Eve relates to Adam her troublesome dream, the dream that Satan gave her. 
he likes it not, yet comforts her. Um, that's an important sentence and just worth noticing, that he, um, he doesn't like the dream, but he is a little bit more optimistic in talking to her than he really feels. So even though the dream feels as though um, Eve was... Um, was saved from some sly thing Satan was doing, that Satan's first attempt on her made no difference. It actually did, because it drives a little bit of a wedge between Adam and Eve, where Adam is taking care of her, but isn't being completely open with her. Hang on to that, because that's going to be important later. Um, he likes it, not, it comforts her. They come forth to their day labors. They're mourning him at the door of their bower. And that morning hymn is really quite beautiful. Um, so they come forth and they praise God and um, praise all the birds and the stars and the angels and everything um, that um, should feel gratitude towards God, that they feel confident, um, everything that does feel gratitude towards God. Um, beautiful, beautiful hymn. Then the next sentence, God, to render man inexcusable, sends Raphael to admonish him of his obedience. That should be shocking to you. Emily. Yeah, and there's another part that's kind of like that, where it's when he, with the sun, and he, he like feels like, I feel like God's like trying to justify what yes, he's doing. Yes, he's trying to justify his own ways. And so what does he do? He doesn't send Raphael down in order to try to help Adam. He sends Raphael down in order to entrap him in order to say you have, he's, and he'll, this is what he'll actually say later on in book five, you don't have an excuse because I sent Raphael. But Raphael is there not to help him, but to take away an excuse for when he falls, um, to render man inexcusable. So that's actually, you should be shocked by that um, because Raphael is friendly. He doesn't want Adam to fall, but he's a tool in God's, desire to make Adam and Eve um, as sinful as possible when they do sin, as unable to justify themselves when they fall. So God sending Raphael down, that's, that's kind of creepy. Look, so there are a couple of things um, to look at earlier. Um, look at um, book three, where um, God is explaining what is going to happen. So the first thing, the first time we see God, um, he talks to his son in exactly the same way, in some version of par, as I was putting it, um, that Satan talks to his next mate, Beelzebub, when he finds himself chained to the burning lake in book one. Um, and so this is book three, line 58. Now... Had the Almighty Father from above, from the pure Empyrean where he sits, high throned above all height, bent down his eye, his own works and their works at once to view. About him all the sanctities of heaven stood thick as stars, and from his sight received beatitude past utterance. So that, that's a sort of five-line version of the end of Paradiso. On his right, the radiant image of his glory sat. Who's that? The son, his only son. On earth, he first beheld our two first parents, yet the only two of mankind. 
um, that is only two human beings on earth um, so far, in the happy garden placed, reaping immortal fruits of joy and love, uninterrupted joy, unrivaled love, in blissful solitude. He then surveyed hell and the gulf between, and Satan there coasting the wall of heaven on this side night in the dun air sublime. So we get this great cinematic um, panorama of the universe from God's point of view. Adam and Eve who have no idea that Satan is coming after them, and God who is watching Satan coming after them, and watching, as on a, in a movie, Adam and Eve's innocence. This is like Zeus and Hera looking down at the Trojan War. And then he turns to the sun at line 80 and says, Only begotten sun, seest thou what rage transports our adversary? whom no bounds prescribe, no bars of hell, nor all the chains heaped on him there, nor yet the main abyss wide interrupt can hold. Um, so notice that there's a little joke in the word transport. Um, and God cracks jokes in Paradise Lost. The sun is the only one who dares to laugh at them. Um, but, but the sun does laugh when God cracks a joke. Um, and um, they should really do a Paradise Lost downfall, shouldn't they? Um, one of you who's internet savvy should do it. Um, so, um, or I guess Satan could do it. I wonder if there isn't, if there isn't one. Um, at any rate, um, transport there means you're transported with rage, right? That's an idiom you all know. Um, to be transported with rage means to lose it. It's the Nicolas Cage thing that you probably saw the other day. Um, so that's being transported with rage. It's just totally losing it. Um, but God is making a joke out of the word transport um, when what he basically says is he's transported from hell to earth by his own rage. His rage has had him leap out of hell all the way to earth. And then he says... And nothing seems to, seems to be able to hold him in hell. And that's ridiculous. God could have kept him there if he wanted to. Who does he give the keys to hell to? Sin and death. Um, and the narrator of Paradise Lost says in book one that Satan would still be heaped on, I mean, sorry, would still be chained to the burning lake, except that the permission of all ruling heaven left him free to pursue and at large to pursue his own designs. So now God is making this little joke saying, God, I, God, son, I really tried um, to keep him in hell, um, but he's so angry that he got away and nothing seems able to stop him. So bent he seems on desperate revenge that shall redound upon his own rebellious head. So he'll, he will get um, some, he, will, he will attempt revenge and all he will do is cause himself pain. And now through all restraint broke loose well no, not all restraint. Um, that's not true. Through some restraint broke loose. Not all restraint. All restraint would be the all of omnipotence and the omni of omnipotence. I'm just going just, to just hold it. Um, he, he wings his way not far off heaven in the precincts of light directly towards the new created world and man there placed with purpose to assay if him by force he can destroy or worse by some false guile pervert. So he's heading towards man, towards the new created world and man there placed. And Milton is very slyly using a dangling participle there. That is, 
do you read this as he is as you would at first that he is heading towards the new created world and towards man who is placed there or is it he's heading towards the new created world and towards man who is placed there with the purpose of seeing whether Satan can make him fall that is placed that you may be able to stop at placed or it may be that with purpose says why man is placed there in which case in the second reading and it's at, it's absolutely ambiguous but in at least half the meaning of this therefore is man is Satan bait that's what he's doing there is he's baiting Satan it's not that I love Adam and Eve and I've put them there because I love them but that darn Satan is breaking through all restraint to mess with them it's I put them there so that Satan would say ooh man tasty and go after them to and because I want to see whether Satan will be able to do this to them or not so that's creepy moment number one or probably by now number five of God even in this first speech creepy moment number two go um, about a page later when he's explaining um, that Adam and Eve are going to fall that um, that um, they are he's already calling them ingrates even though they're worshiping him on earth he's calling them ingrates um, and he says this is um, he line 209 um, he has nothing left to repent with and so he's sacred and devote to destruction this is still book 3 line 209 he with his whole posterity must die die he or justice must unless for him some other able that is someone who isn't sinful who who isn't already condemned to death unless for him some <coughs> other able and is willing pay the rigid satisfaction death for death say heavenly powers where shall we find such love so <coughs> that line die here justice must what that means is I could be merciful but that would be unjust um, and justice is one of the highest principles everyone wants me to be just I accept justice I don't get to say what's just I what I do is I act justly and um, if after they sin I were to ignore the fact that they sinned there was no penalty paid for that sin um, then I wouldn't be acting justly much as it breaks my heart like the walrus and the carpenter much as it breaks my heart to throw them into hell um, I have to I have to do what's just I require that of myself that I be just unless someone else is willing to pay the penalty for them which is a bizarre idea how is it just that an innocent person be killed which is which is the whole plan now that an innocent person be killed in order that a guilty person not be punished so God's idea of justice here is it doesn't matter who's punished it's actually a Nicolas Cage moment in Moonstruck um, Nicolas Cage in Moonstruck Cher says um, so why do you hate your brother so much and he says well one day um, he was on vacation and I was in the butcher shop and I wasn't really paying attention I cut off my hand with a knife um, carver and Cher says that's terrible that's really really awful but I don't see why you blame your brother 
and he pounds the table with his metal hand, and he says, what am I, a friggin' monument to justice? <laughs> um, so he blames his brother because he's angry that he cut off his own hand, and he wants someone to blame. And that, in a way, seems to be what God is doing. But go now to book four. I'll, I'm pausing only to recall um, that um, God then says to the angels, is anyone willing to pay the penalty? They all say no. Then the son says, sure, I am, because I know I won't stay dead long. And God, and you can imagine if you were the one of the angels saying, wait, I thought we were talking about eternal death here. We're just talking about three days. Um, they might have changed their mind. But then they say, no, you're great. You're the only one who dares to do this. That's a parallax or parallel or, or parody of Satan and Beelzebub arranging that Satan will undertake the trip to Earth. Now, the sun is also, and even though it's so dangerous and scary and violent and painful, now the sun is undertaking a trip to Earth, even though it's so dangerous and scary and violent and painful. Satan is celebrated by the rebel angels for being willing to do this. The sun is celebrated by the loyal angels for being willing to do this. But again, note the connection. Um, now go to the moment in book four of Paradise Lost, a beautiful moment of, of grief on Satan's part. This is book four, line 358. He looks at them, and he can't believe how beautiful what he's seeing is. In fact, he, his love for them is just like Raphael's. He doesn't say, whoa, Eve, she's naked, I'm hot. What he does is he says, I look at them and my thoughts pursue them with wonder. Oh, hell, he says at line 358. What do mine eyes with grief behold into our room of bliss, thus high advanced creatures of other mold, earthborn perhaps, not spirits yet to heavenly spirits bright, little inferior whom my thoughts pursue with wonder and could love. So lively shines in them divine resemblance and such grace the hand that formed them on their shape hath poured. Ah, gentle pair, ye little think how nigh your change approaches. So notice that he's feeling regret, real regret, sadness, sorrow for what he's about to do. Ah, gentle pair, ye little think how nigh your change approaches, when all these delights will vanish and deliver ye to woe. More woe, the more your taste is now of joy. Happy, but for so happy, ill-secured long to continue. Notice he's saying is, what is wrong with God? Look how happy you are, but he's not protecting you. What's up with that? Happy, but for so happy, ill-secured long to continue in this high seat, your heaven ill-fenced for heaven to keep out such a foe as now is entered. That is me. Why didn't he build this better? Yet, no purposed foe to you whom I could pity thus forlorn, though I unpitied. I'm not pitied, and yet I could pity you. It's not you I'm angry at. League with you I seek. Actually, I want to be friends. League with you, I seek, in mutual amity, so straight, so close, that I with you must dwell, or you with me henceforth. My dwelling haply may not please like this fair paradise your sense. That is, it's not going to be so pleasant. But he doesn't say it won't please. He just says it won't please your sense. My dwelling haply may not please like this fair paradise your sense. 
yet such accept your Maker's work. He gave it me, which I as freely give. All of that's true. Hell shall unfold to entertain you to her widest gates and send forth all her kings. There will be room not like these narrow limits to receive your numerous offspring. If no better place, thank him who puts me loathe to this revenge on you who wronged me, not for him who wronged. Notice that he's got the same idea. I am going to punish you, even though I really don't want to, I'm going to punish you for a wrong that you haven't committed, but that he has. That's why God is, that's why the Son is going to pay the penalty for man's wrong. Now what Satan is saying is, this other man, Adam, is going to pay the penalty for God's wrong. And should I at your harmless innocence melt, as I do, yet public reason just, so he's appealing to justice also, honor and empire with revenge enlarged by conquering this new world, compels me now to do what else, though damned, I should abhor. I wouldn't do this even damned, except that justice requires it. So spake the fiend, says the narrator, and with necessity the tyrant's plea excused his devilish deeds. So that's a great line, that necessity is the tyrant's plea. I don't want to do this, but I have to. Necessity, the tyrant's plea. Tyrants always say, it, it's really unfortunate that we have to go into Iraq or into Afghanistan or into Iran or whatever. Um, it's really, really sad that we have to do it, but we have no choice. What choice is there? Necessity, the tyrant's plea. But what else then is God saying, die he or justice must? Isn't he also in that word must, rhyming with justice intentionally? Isn't he also plea using the plea of necessity? And isn't Milton here allowing himself to say, no, that's bo a bogus argument, but saying it in the context of Satan rather than in the context of God? One last thing just to note for you, um, because I really have to, is that Eve eats the fruit um, because she wants knowledge. Adam sees Eve has eaten the fruit. He's horrified. He drops the roses that he's picked. Um, and then the line that Milton gives is, and then Adam to himself first inward silence broke. That is the first time in human history that someone soliloquized in private. Adam said, well, I too am ruined. You did the wrong thing, but I am ruined with you. Me with thee hath ruined. For certain my resolution is to die, says Adam. How can I live without thee? How forego thy sweet converse? So Adam eats the fruit out of love for Eve and not out of desire for knowledge. Adam is willing to die out of his love for Eve. Whom does that remind you of? The son willing to die out of his love for humanity. Adam also is willing to die out of his love for Eve. If you see that as a sin, as C.S. Lewis, for example, does, um, it's... Um, it's, it's a reading of Paradise Lost. Um, me, I don't see it as a sin. I see it as um, Adam's noblest gesture. Um, just to say, Eve becomes much more noble after the fall. We didn't get a chance to talk about this. Um, but it's paradise, paradise is clearly sexist. Um, Post-fall, um, things are not so sexist. Eve is the one who has to um, actually get Adam to think straight. 
Um, and Eve is the only one who doesn't make any excuses. Um, the son comes to judge them. We'll just finish this because our last time. The son comes to judge them and says to Adam, what, what was up with that? And Adam says, it's that darn woman that you gave me. She was supposed to help me, but instead she made me fall. Um, and he just puts all the blame on Eve. And so the son then turns to Eve and says, so what do you have to say for yourself? And all she says is, the serpent may beguiled and I did eat. No excuses, whatever. Um, she says, yeah, I did it. She takes the blame. Then Adam says, let's kill ourselves. And Eve says, no, we have to take the punishment. Um, Eve, after the fall, is the strongest character, the strongest human character in the book. And there's a balance there um, that you should note before you just say, oh, Milton, just more sexist trash. He's actually not sexist trash. It's neither sexist nor trash. Um, so, all right, um, papers when you can get them. And pick up your old stuff. Yeah, remind me to do that, though.